Hi everyone and welcome along to Church Online at One Hope once again. I'm Steve, one of the pastors on staff here at the church and it's great that you could, we could have your company with us today. Um, to all those out there who may be struggling a little bit with their health right now, just thinking of you, praying for you, trust that you'll soon be well. Um, obviously pretty challenging times for us all, but hey, hang in there um, and look, hope today is a blessing to you. Um, today we're going to be um, focusing again on the, the Ark of the Covenant as something that is popped up time and again as we've worked our way through the scriptures and it seems as though often when I've preached it's been a topic of uh, something that I've come back to again and again. Uh, when I say the ark, it's specifically the ark as it relates to the temple of God as we've been working through the series on the life of David. And so today I want to talk about how, of course, when we reflect back on when the ark came up uh, out of um, when it was given to them in the wilderness, to the children of Israel and they basically brought the ark up and they crossed over the Jordan. They went in and they took on Jericho. And of course, the ark was central in all of those things. And last time I spoke, in fact, the ark was actually brought up by David after it had been captured by the Philistines and had actually brought it back up to a tent that he had made for it back in Jerusalem, which is, of course, was its final resting place. So today... Um, it's really important for us to think again about the ark because the ark is, is as much as anything, it's a symbol of God's abiding presence with his people. Of course, it speaks of his provision and his power, of his promises, but perhaps more importantly, speaks to his purpose. And of course, God's purpose, uh, both for the ark and the place where it ultimately came to rest in the temple, which we're going to speak of today, was, is ultimately about relationship. Because God wants relationship, and hence the, that's the importance of the, the temple in that sense. Of course, David had undertaken to uh, build the temple, and as we've heard from Matt a number of weeks ago, God actually checked that uh, plan, and he had a different plan. Because David was a man of war, uh, he, he had decided that his son Solomon would in fact be the one to uh, build the temple. Now, David had gone about all the business of planning and all the architecture of gathering resources for it and all the rest of it. But he ultimately, as I say, was not the one to build it. And so Solomon commences the monumental task of building the temple. And he reaches out to the king of Tyre, a man called Hiram, who in fact was a friend of David's and had provided a lot of the skilled craftsmen and, and the materials for David when he built his palace. But Solomon now writes to Hiram in order to actually acquire those materials yet again to build the temple of the Lord. And so uh, Tyre itself was a, a region which was really rich in cedar and skilled craftsmen, as I say. And the Israelites were basically an agricultural people. And so for them, temple building really wasn't their sort of thing. So Solomon writes to Hiram and he actually says, says this when he reaches out. It's in 2 Chronicles 2, 5 to 6. Follow along with me. This is what Solomon says to Hiram. He says, the temple I'm going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods. So there's a recognition right up front by Solomon that, that our God is not like any other God. But who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? See, Solomon is all too aware of the magnificence of Israel's God. He says, our God is greater than all other gods. And he knew that he couldn't be contained within a house because he, he knew that God was everywhere. He says, even the highest heavens cannot contain him. So this was not some uh, you know, vain attempt by human beings to actually uh, put God in a box, so to speak, or, or, or to contain him in some fashion or seek to control him, which is essentially what the neighbouring uh, peoples did. The, all the nations around about 
Uh, in fact, uh, archaeologists have unearthed so many of the old temples from those era, and it was really clear that these temples that they had were actually, in their mind at least, the literal dwelling place of their god or gods. And of course, uh, Solomon was recognising that um, their god is not one to, to be contained within a building itself, which may in fact uh, explain some of God's initial reticence to actually... Um, to agree to having a temple because maybe he didn't want to be confused like the nations around about who actually saw their temple as the place where God actually dwelt and, and where he had his presence. And remember, go back to 2 Samuel chapter five, uh, 7 and verses 5 to 7, which Matt spoke on sometime, and I'll reflect on that again because this is what God said to David at the time when he was wanting to undertake uh, to build this temple. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 5 to 7. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Referring, of course, to the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. Wherever I've moved and all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? See, God wasn't concerned about having a house. But then he tells David this very profound thing. He says, you think you're going to build me a house? I'm actually going to build you a house, or more correctly, a household. And, and God had declared that he would do that both for David and his descendants who would follow after him. Well, perhaps more accurately through David's descendant, the one son of David, of course, referred to in the scriptures, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon whom God has built a house and it's an eternal dwelling. And of course, you know, when we look at the temple... We don't want to just look at it from a historical or archaeological point of view. As interesting as that might be, that would be to miss the main point. Because we, as Christians, we need to consider the things of the Old Testament with a New Testament lens. We need to consider how that relates to the church. There's actually a saying that goes along the lines of this, where it relates to both how the New Testament and the Old Testament interplay with each other, and it's this. It says, The new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. And that's really telling because there's something really important about the temple and all of the symbolism, but there are types and shadows of the thing which was to come. And we heard a couple of last week, in fact, uh, sorry, two weeks ago from Annette, who spoke about the building of the temple. And she referred to the New Testament scriptures again, speaking about um, how God was going to build a household. And we were going to be built into that with Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and we, the living stones whom God would use to actually build this, this temple. As I say, the son of David, Jesus himself, he's the one whom they, who God had promised to David that he would establish his kingdom forever. And we are being built into that house, into a family that will become a habitation of God, a spiritual house, a spiritual temple, as we're told in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. And in Acts chapter 7, there's a reflection on Solomon's building of the temple in, in there by, uh, by Paul and says, The Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Again, just that recognition that God is not going to be contained in fact, that's why he places his Holy Spirit in us. Remember, we are the temple, in fact, of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, 
We both individually but also corporately, they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God chooses to make his dwelling amongst us as his people. And it's his love that motivates us toward that sort of relationship with us. And God primarily, primarily wants that relationship. And so the temple, as much as anything, is actually, for all its fine architecture and symbolism and sacrifices, was first and foremost the place where God was going to meet with his people. And so the temple and the ark that held central place in it spoke of God's presence, of his power, of his providence, of his preeminence and his promises. And I said before, his purposes, which is, of course, relationship, relationship. And Jesus himself, when he, when, uh, in, in Mark chapter 11, in verse 17, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's when he was challenging the money changers in the, um, in the temple at the time. Uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. In other words, what God was primarily wanting was a place where we could connect with him through prayer. And so today, we're going to focus in on the dedication of the temple by Solomon. And that was expressed through a prayer. Prayer, the place of relationship, how we interact with God and how he speaks to us. And so... We're told in um, 2 Chronicles 5 that as, as the, all the work of the building of the temple was completed and the ark was placed in the most holy place. But this was a really significant moment in Israel's history. And so there was a heap of sacrifices that were offered up and all the elders and the tribal heads got together and the Levites carried the ark up and they placed all the holy utensils and the ark. And in fact, the tent of meeting itself uh, went into, uh, in, into the temple. And there were so many sacrifices that they couldn't be counted because finally... Finally, the people of God, from all of their wilderness wanderings, through un, uh, being unsettled and God dwelling in a tent, uh, the tent of meeting, finally they felt as though they had arrived and God had finally delivered them into that promised land that he had spoken of to their forebears. And so in response, they fire up the worship band and let's read what that looks like. Second Chronicles 5 verses 11 to 14. It says, The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions and the Levites who were musicians were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise to them thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. And then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the temple. I mean, how incredible is that? 120 trumpeters. I don't know if you've ever uh, listened in on the rugby you know, in, uh, in South Africa when they get those things, they're called vuvuzela, and they blow those things and the, the noise is deafening. Or if you've ever listened to the test cricket in, um, in, in India, maybe in Mumbai or somewhere like that, and the trumpets just keep sounding all day. And it's just quite amazing and, and deafening, to be honest. You can imagine 120 trumpeters. I mean, the sound as they lifted up these their voices to God and their sounds to the Lord, that there was a great, great rejoicing. But more importantly, was that God visited them and his glory descended like a cloud. This is reminiscent of what it was in the wilderness, the cloud that led them by day and the fire by night. And so it was that God was showing to his people that he was pleased with them and he was showing them that his presence would in fact dwell there in the temple and he would meet with them there. And so it was that they were unable to minister. Wow, how incredible is that? That the glory of God 
the, in fact, the, the Hebrew word is Shekinah, in other words, which is, literally means like a weightiness, almost that sense in which, which God's presence is so tangible and so almost overwhelming as it's to feel like a weight. For me personally, I, I've experienced that a, a few times, maybe three or four times in 30 plus years. So it's not, not common, but uh, certainly I've been times where I know where I've laid on my bed and I've been praying and God's presence just fell. And it was just like a weight and it's so almost overwhelming to the point where I felt like if God wanted to, he could just crush me. Uh, that weight, that glory, it was almost as if his power and his presence was so real in that moment that, that I, I felt like he could just push me straight through the bed and through the floor and out the other side if he chose to. And of course he didn't because coupled with that was this sense of warmth and of love and of acceptance. It was incredible. And fear and awe, fear in the right sense of that word, overwhelmed me. And a sense of awe and wonder of how, the, how powerful and how good God is. And so something like that perhaps was what the priests experienced, but perhaps even more so for them. But anyway, Solomon gets to his prayer. And what he does is he builds a, temp uh, a platform rather in the outer court of the temple. And he gets up on that platform so everyone could see him. And it tells us this in 2 Chronicles 6 verse 13. It says, he, that's Solomon, stood on the platform. He stood on the platform, but then that's not all he did. He says, then he knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. I mean, this is the king. This is King Solomon. I mean, he, his splendor was incredible. I mean, this, this guy you know, acts with complete humility before all of the people. In acknowledgement, he's on this platform. He kneels down before all of the people so they can see him. And he prays with his hands spread out to heaven in acknowledgement that his God is so much greater than all the other gods, in fact, so much greater than anything that he is or, or could ever hope to be. And so he submits to him as Lord. And underst he understood where his power and his wisdom and his influence came from. And so he, it is that he, he blesses all of Israel and recalls the promise that David's son would build a temple. And then he prays this, 2 Chronicles 6 verse 20. He says, may your eyes be open toward this temple day and night, this place which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer. There it is again, the prayer. Remember what I said about relationship. This is a place where people were meant to come and meet with their God. May you hear the prayer. Your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and your people Israel. And when they pray toward this place, hear from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. So he understood that, you know, fallen man, fallen human beings needed a relationship with God, but they also needed to be forgiven. They needed to be actually um, be in a place of repentance and surrender. And so Solomon was demonstrating by his very act there that it wasn't so primarily a, about sacrifices, this temple. It was a place of relationship and of prayer and of meeting with God, a focal point for people to find themselves in relationship with God and be close to him. So this is when we get down to 2 Chronicles chapter 2, sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1. It says, when, fin when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord. There it is again. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Remember before the cloud filled and the priests couldn't minister? This time fire falls. Again, remember what I said about the wilderness, cloud by day, fire by night. Again, 
really tangible demonstrations of God's presence and his acceptance of what was going on here. And the priests could not enter. Again, the priests can't do their thing. Uh, they could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, and here's a repeat of what they said before, He is good, His love endures forever. They knew that God was good. They knew that His love endured forever. And it says, Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. As I say, fire, cloud, manifest presence of God, God's acceptance. Again, the priests can't function. They're unable to enter the temple. Again, the king and the people offer sacrifices. Again, the priests and the Levites begin a worship service. But there's something really important I want us to note about Solomon's prayer. See, seven times, I mentioned it before, and put an emphasis on when you hear or hear from heaven. Because seven times throughout the prayer, Solomon prays something like this. When someone wrongs their neighbour or when the people go to war or when famine or plague or something like that comes to the land, he says, when these things happen, Solomon says that as they pray towards this temple, hear from heaven and forgive or heal or act in some way. Here's just one example. I'm going to back up the bus slightly to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. This is just one example of what he prayed. He says, when the heavens are shut up, okay, and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. And when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. See, what, what Solomon was praying is like, when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you. See, he recognised that we need constantly to come before God in, in repentance. Like, I'm not saying we have to actually, uh, you know, overdo that, but a recognition that we're all fallen. We all need God's grace poured out in our life. We all need to come into right relationship with him. And we do that through prayer. We need, do that through recognition that we are sinful, but we need... God's grace and for us to be accepted. And of course, the blood of Jesus has cleansed us and made us acceptable in his sight. But he knew that all these blessings that would flow needed to come through repentance, turning to God in prayer, and then God would bless their, their lives. And it's not that different to us. When we're in right relationship with God, we can expect God's blessings to flow into our lives. So now we come to 2 Chronicles 7, verse 11. And it says this, When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Now, I don't want to gloss over that too quickly because it's, what it says there is when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace. Now, you know Solomon's temple took seven years to complete. His palace took 13 years. Now, there's a whole sermon in that, but I won't dwell on that today. But one thing to note, 13 years after he'd finished the, the temple, he completed his palace. And it says after he'd finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying it all he had in mind to do, the Lord appeared to him and he said, I have heard your prayer. 13 years on. 13 years. I mean, how long is that? What it tells me is we need to really persevere in prayer sometimes before God responds. 
Reminds me of the story in Luke 18 of the unjust judge, the parable that Jesus said, and it's a really a parable of contrast, saying that, well, God's not really like this unjust judge. He, gives, he gave um, justice to this widow who kept pestering him, but God said he will hear. But he also said there that Jesus told this parable that why they should pray and never give up. We should persevere in prayer. We need to just hang in there and just keep bringing things before God. Because when we pray, things change, uh, albeit slowly at times, but without a doubt, what happens most in prayer, yes, circumstances change, but we change. As we learn to surrender to God, as we come and teach ourselves to rely on Him and to humble ourselves and continue to bring our prayers and our requests to God, God begins to slowly change us on the inside. Our attitudes, our motives begin to change. In fact, sometimes God even shows us that the thing that I'm asking for in prayer is he gives us what I need, in fact, and not necessarily what I want or what I'm asking for. And that change can happen lovingly and slowly and sometimes painfully. And prayer has taught me that, you know, to trust in Jesus even when I don't understand what's going on. And that comes through prayer, through conversation, through relating to God and through yielding myself, ourselves, in fact, all of us, uh, to, to God's working in us. And God does answer. Because I have seen God move and I have seen him change circumstances and I, it's just incredible at times. But uh, we should never, ever give up praying. Always press in. So let's go back to Second Chronicles 7. See, having established that it was a very long time between Solomon praying and God answering, let's look at the response. Remember the form of Solomon's prayer, when such and such happens, famine, plague, whatever. And when they pray toward this place and when they turn from their sin, then hear from heaven and forgive or act or respond in some fashion. Here's God's response. 13 years after, here's the answer. It's the best known passage in 2 Chronicles. Chapter 7, verse 11 through 15. God says this to Solomon. Remember 13 years on. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. God says, I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. He says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. See, God's responding to Solomon. I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive. I'll heal. And, 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 and really, the form of the prayer is, when all these things happen, not if, when. Because they will. Things do go awry. It says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways or turn from their sin in, in repentance, it's then that God heals, God forgives, and God sets things back in right order. Now, I want to say this about Second Chronicles. Many scholars, most scholars, in fact, attribute Second Chronicles to quite late in the Bible. In fact, they say that it was written probably by Ezra, the high, the high priest at the time, at the time of return from the exile in Babylon, 70 years in captivity. And what it is, it's almost like a commentary reflecting back on the period of First and Second Kings. So effectively, a lot of the stories that are in First and Second Kings appear in First and Second Chronicles, but it's written from a priestly point of view. But importantly, this was written uh, 70, after 70 years of exile. And so what Second Chronicles is teaching us in, through this prayer and in this scripture is that God uh, is, is uh, coming to us at a time sometimes when we're quite discouraged. 
These people, as they returned from, from the exile, the glory days had gone and they were returning back to a land where there's a whole generation seeking to reassemble themselves back home in the land of promise and it was not the same. They had to start again and they were stripped of all the advantages of their forebears and they were victims in some sense of history. But Chronicles is trying to inspire them and trying to warn them also about their past failures and also trying to remind them about God's secret to great, the, the remind them that the secret to greatness has always been in seeking God first and foremost. So I reflect on this current season that we're in, you know, COVID, like two years in and, and here we still are, you know, in fact, you know, with the Omicron variant kicking around right now, I mean, it's, it's so disruptive and a lot of people are getting quite unwell. But the impact on the church has been significant. Are we like, in some sense, like the children of Israel coming back from exile? As we seek to rebuild a fledgling uh, witness again, uh, you know, we're online today because, uh, you know, a lot of us can't be together. But, you know, our faith has been challenged over the last couple of years and our sense of community has been ravaged and, and also our unity has been tested as people have responded to this pandemic in all sorts of ways, often polarised ways. You know, and like the Israelites returning from the exile, we also need to be inspired and warned and reminded again about the priority of seeking God. Because we, you know, like they were sitting amongst the rubble trying to rebuild their lives, sometimes, you know, it, it may even seem a little like that for us in this season. Thinking, what can I possibly do to rebuild my life um, in, this, in this season? But God would say, you know, don't worry about that. Just see what I can do. Just see what I can do to redeem it for my glory. Because the dedication of the temple through the prayer of Solomon reminds us that in 2022, this year that we're in right now, is about the dedication of this temple, the body of Christ, individually and corporately, that we might dedicate our, our temple, this temple, to the Lord. And that this year, like Solomon, should be a year about praying and seeking and repenting and humbling ourselves before God, about recalibrating and reprioritizing and reinstating these living stones out of the rubble to see them come together again. Once again, with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, as we get about the business of rebuilding church in the year ahead. Because I don't know about you, I want to know the power and the presence. I want to see that glory. I want to see the cloud and the, and the, and the fire, God's presence, the tangible, powerful manifestation of God in our midst as a church, just like it was in Solomon's time, that we too would have that sense of fear and awe and reverence for God. And, and there may be times, in fact, where we're just like them. We're unable to minister before God, just such as the power of God and his glory descending on us. But it's only going to come as we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our sins and surrender our lives to him. And God will begin the process this year of rebuilding and healing and restoring, as he said that he would do for Solomon. Let that be the hallmark of One Hope Baptist Church in 2022. Let's pray together. Our loving Father, we just thank you for your word, such an encouragement, something which was written many, many centuries ago. Father, in fact, can still speak to us afresh today. There's so much that we can learn, so much that we can glean. And Lord, just as they were coming back from the exile and reflecting on this time, Lord, you said that if they, we humbled ourselves and prayed and sought your face and turned from our sin, then Lord, you would heal our land and you will forgive their sin. And Lord, you will bring restoration. And Father, it's in that sense of 
uh, of acknowledgement of that, Father, we pray today for your church, One Hope Baptist Church, and in our lives and in our businesses and in our schools and in our in our daily going about things, God, may you bring glory and honour to your name. And Father, may you, in fact, uh, be the one who brings healing this year for all of us, that our nation of Australia might uh, heal from uh, such, so much disruption, Father God. And so we commit ourselves to that aim this year, Father God. Pray your blessing on all of us who listen to this word today. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. It's great that you could be here and uh, trust we can see you back in person soon. Cheers.